Quiet on the set. Can we please have quiet on the set? Welcome to episode 4 of the fucking Marks Podcast. You mocks. Alright, so uh, lots to get to this week. Uh, you know, Raw, SmackDown, Cruiserweight Classic, NXT, lots of big things going on in TNA. So, uh, you know, honestly to me, I think the uh, biggest story of the week was TNA finally, like after all these months... You, you know, Dixie Carter is no longer kind of, like, operating everything. Billy Corgan, who's been with the company creatively, is now kind of taking a, a bigger role. And uh, also, at the same time, uh, fairly recently, Billy Corrigan has hinted that the original Smashing Pumpkins are going to get back for a reunion, which he'll probably make a whole bunch of money, which I think is going to be uh, the way TNA is financed in the coming years so uh kudos to you billy for putting your money where your mouth is and uh putting uh hopefully a better product forward i'm gonna add on to that by saying that i'm actually kind of surprised that it's this early in episodes of podcasts that we're actually kicking off with a tna story well i mean really they're the kind of probably second most well-known company at least in the United States, and, you know, when you're talking about ownership shift or or at least uh, a major shift in creative and what's going on day-to-day operations, eh, that's big things. And, I mean, comparatively speaking, with uh, all the other stuff going on with WWE, I thought this was the biggest story of the week. Oh, I agree with you on that. Uh, Billy Corgan taking over as president of TNA, uh, Dixie Carter is still going to be one of the high-ranking officials for TNA. She's just not going to be the one that's going to be in charge of the decisions for like matches and what I think have she's you. She's still stuff. majority owner, but like I think Corrigan's got a bit more ownership now, and I think he's also he definitely has more say. So I just think it's awesome that somebody like Billy Corgan, who was the lead singer for the Smashing Pumpkins, in general the leader, because he wrote like 95% of the songs. Uh, for some of the albums, he played almost every instrument. So, I mean, he really was almost completely the Smashing Pumpkins. He's the patriarch of the Smashing Pumpkins. Yes. I think it's kind of cool that he's taken over. I think it's something new, something fresh. You know, he's got a, he's got a pretty big name attached to the company now. I actually think it's a smart move by TNA to actually promote him as the new president so that he makes some of the decisions for, like, in-ring matches and what have you. It's going to be cool. It's a different take on it. And like I said, I the more places that wrestlers have to work, the better off we'll be, hopefully, hopefully. I mean, they're still not in the position that they were a few years ago when they were on Spike and they were, you know, getting a million, million and a half viewers, give or take. Uh, you know, you know, they're somewhere around, the I think, 350,000 viewers a week, which... Yeah, it sucks that they they're, they had to go to a smaller uh, cable channel, but it is what it is. They're still around. There's still people employed. You know, they just signed, you know, the to me, the biggest free agent out there. The former Damian Sandow made his debut on TNA this week. 
Yeah, I saw that too, Jay. I was, you know, they were teasing it earlier in the week about how there was going to be a big debut this week on Impact. I believe it is. Is their show Impact Wrestling on Pop TV, which is on Thursday nights. And he did come out and he cut a very interesting promo. Oh, I loved it. Pretty much going out there and saying that the WWE, without saying the WWE, didn't back him, even though he took a very, very terrible gimmick and reached it to limits that nobody thought he was going to reach it with. I thought it was really interesting when he said in his promo that the other guys thought he was too entertaining to be World Heavyweight Championship material, which to me just sucks. What about The Rock back in the day? He was like one of the most entertaining things on WWE TV. Was he not too entertaining to not be champion? No, he was freaking awesome. For whatever reason, WWE had, you know, their head in the sand with this guy and never allowed him to really grow. Not a huge fan of TNA. I've, you know, I've only watched one of their pay-per-views, to be honest, in in my lifetime. And that was like five, six years ago when they had the guys like Consequences Creed and AJ Styles and Kurt Angle. And even when Trevor Murdoch was there and he was fighting Abyss. And, you know, I never just, I could never get into TNA. And I kind of stopped following TNA when they had this program where it was Hulk Hogan, you know, when he spiked his Hall of Fame ring, uh, ring inside the ring. And it was Ric Flair. And just seeing Ric Flair getting in the ring with the Monster Abyss. And he's trying to punch him. And he's trying to hit him with the, the slaps on the chest and everything. I just I just was like, this is embarrassing. I'm like, looking at Ric Flair and everything he's accomplished in his career. And it came to this. So I kind of yeah, stopped that, following yeah. TNA. But with, with something like this happening... With Damian Sandow, where he's going to be known as Aaron... I, I think it's his real name. I forget what his real name is. But, like, even so, you got uh, I, I, a guy that talented on there. It seems like they're, at least out of the gates, they're giving him a shot to do something. I think he's going to be facing uh, Lashley, who uh, just won, like, his third title. And they've done away with that third title now. He He won the King of the Mountain championship they've changed that and that it's gonna be like some like all-around title where it's kind of like mma based wrestling and it's gonna be three rounds i kind of like the idea of them making it feel more realistic like a athletic competition i wonder if they're gonna you know put like a instead of the uh octagon it'll be uh what is it a sexagon something like that I just, my whole thing with uh, the championships that Bobby Lashley has, you know, I always thought he was a talented in-ring performer. I liked him a lot when he was in the WWE. Obviously, there was things that happened in the past that ended his WWE career, but he actually had a pretty decent run in MMA fighting for... um, He he still fights for Bellator. He hasn't uh, been fighting as much lately, but the dude, I think, is like 16-1 in uh, MMA. So, you know... And the new title that they replaced the uh, King of the Mountain title with is going to be called the Grand Championship. And like you said, it's going to have an MMA-style rules as part of it as well. So I just don't think that... The thing that really bothers me is that he has all the titles now. It's like he's got three championships. Well, they're trying to put him over similar to what WWE has done with Brock Lesnar. Instead of giving Brock, though, like all these different titles... You know, 
they had Brock beat the unbeatable streak. They had him win the WWE title. Excuse me. Uh, but with Lashley, they've had him as the destroyer, and he's kind of gone through anybody and everybody. So, you know, they're trying to build him up to that level, and, you know, they've in general done a pretty good job. I, I haven't been following TNA as closely as I used to, but, like, I still check in on it. I, I know what's going on. Uh, Lashley, still really good in the ring. Uh, he looks like a million dollars, and he's a legit athlete. Does he still talk like this? Well, usually they've uh, surrounded him with uh, folks to help him get over, like, as far as uh, just being a badass and beating people up. I think it's it's good because, like you said, it, it does do... It's pretty much the same thing that they did in the WWE with Brock Lesnar and everything. It's just, you know, every major championship should not belong to one guy. You know, if he wanted to be the... You know the world heavyweight champion and whatever you know, they have the, the X division championship. The X division championship, that's fine. But then he takes the King of the Mountain championship away from James Storm, and it's like, well, I mean, what other? I mean, you're gonna put him in a tag team, have him win the tag team titles. I mean, why not? I mean, I know he's a big enough dude that he can carry all these championships, but it's like, come on. Well, I I think with something like this, by having a guy like Lashley win all this stuff, if they get the right person to go against him and win that will really get that person over is something you know special or something incredible which i don't know if they're going to do this with uh aaron rex that that is damien sandow's name in tna aaron rex uh i don't know if they're going to do that with sandow because i don't think he's been there quite long enough obviously not been there long enough he's barely even had a cup of coffee there but he, he basically just ordered the cup of coffee right I don't think they're going to do that with Sandow, but, you know, maybe they've got a, another guy like EC3 on the roster that they want to, like, really project forward. I don't think it would be somebody like a Jeff Hardy or a Matt Hardy who's really been in wrestling for a while, been in TNA for a while. I think it would be somebody who's a little bit newer and somebody who needs that, like, little extra push. What about, like, a Drew Galloway? Can you see somebody like a Drew Galloway being that guy that could challenge Lashley and take those titles from him? Possibly, but I think uh, Galloway was the guy that Lashley took the title from. One of the three. Right. He It, it was the world heavyweight title he took it from, but... So... Uh, let's uh, change gears up a little bit, and uh, we're going to go back to our our number one attraction that we have on this podcast. We're going to go back to the WWE. Sure. Um, you know what, Jay? There was something this week that really just irked me. Did it grind your gears? It really grinded my gears. You know, this whole thing, and I'm, I'm sorry, I hate, to, I hate to bring this up again. This is the second week in a row that I'm going to just kind of sit here and vent a little bit. I'm going to put my microphone down. And I just, I just wanted to just put this out here. For the second week in a row... It was supposed to be on SmackDown Live. It was supposed to be the debut of Eva Marie. And she was going to go up against Becky Lynch again. Last week when she had her quote-unquote debut where she was supposed to fight, she hurt her quad or something in her leg, and the referee was like, all right, she can't compete, so they're going to have to delay her debut for the following week. And I said... You know, and I kind of went off on that just because of the whole thing with Eva Marie, how she really hasn't 
developed into the the women's superstar that they were kind of hoping that she was going to develop into. So this week I said, well, last week was kind of stupid. Let's see what they're going to do this week. So what do they end up doing? She has that stupid entrance. She gets in the ring. She kind of plays off the injury like it, it was a legitimate injury. And she was like, oh, I'm fine and everything. And before the bell rang, her top popped off. Well, in the camera, like, it changed to a different camera, so you didn't see this happen. I'm wondering if she just flipped it on her own. It's just, and it just really bothered me. You know, of course, Becky Lynch is in the ring, and she's laughing at her. You know, oh, my God, you know, it's a wardrobe malfunction. And, you know, even Marie's just covering up herself and trying that so nobody can see the the good assets that she has. And the referee brings in a towel and covers it up, and she goes backstage. And Becky Lynch, you know, finally gets upset about it and says, you know what? I came out here to fight because that's what I am. I'm a fighter. So I am issuing a challenge to anybody who wants to come out. Lo and behold, Alexa Bliss comes out, accepts the challenge on her birthday, mind you. And in her SmackDown in-ring debut, she beats Becky Lynch, which was fine. But at the end of the match, Eva Marie came out and said that she was ready to fight and everything. You know, her, her wardrobe malfunction was fixed and, you know, now her leg's okay and everything. And she ended up costing Becky Lynch the match against... Alexa Bliss, and, you know, they do an interview with Eva Marie, and she's like, I'm ready, next week will be my debut, blah, blah, blah. It's just to a point now, Jay, it's like, what stupid thing are they going to do coming this Tuesday for SmackDown with Eva Marie? It's like, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a power outage like there was in the Super Bowl between Baltimore and the San Francisco 49ers, or is there going to be like a, you know, like a a group of uh, zebras are going to go down to the ringside and distract the referee, you know, is uh, even Marie going to, like, faint? You know, is there going to be, That's like... That's a good one. You know, I, you know, it's just like, what stupid thing are they going to do? And another thing that really bothered me about this whole situation with Eva Marie this week is they've been preaching and jamming PG television down our throats with superstars get cut, now the referees have to go in there and try to cover up the cut and make sure he doesn't bleed everywhere. You know, you can't say ass or shit or any of that stuff on television anymore, bitch. And, you know, no, you know, they want them to wear less revealing, less of the less revealing clothing for the the women and everything. This isn't the era of uh, Sable back uh, 15 years ago. Or even, like, Mickey James, when she used to wear those skirts that, you know, you could see a lot every time she did her little skip to the ring and everything. And they're talking about the PG. This wasn't PG. She lost her top. So that I didn't really, see that kinda, anything. I mean, you didn't really see anything, but it's the principle of it. So it's just really, bo- it really, it's just really starting to bother me now that they're doing this, because it's like you got all these people that are defending Eva Marie, saying she's a very talented in-ring performer, she's a very t- hard-working individual, and uh, then what the fuck are you doing? Are you going to let her finally have her chance to to shine and show to these people that she can actually prove to people that she is? one of the better female competitors, or are you just going to make a, a joke and a mockery of her entire career, kind of like they did with uh, Cody Rhodes near the end of his run with the WWE? I, I, I disagree with you. One thing, for me, that's lacking in WWE are true heels. True heels. I think there are only a couple of them. Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens. Chris, Chris Jericho. Jericho. I, even Baron Corbin, what he Name did. Name me like 
Baron Corbin is is another one who is he's he's really starting to develop his character as one of the legitimate heels of SmackDown. But yeah, but name me another guy who like uh, Rusev maybe, but even Rusev like having Lana with him like that doesn't help him. Be it one it of doesn't those help him be, be a legit heel. But think about it. What does Eva Marie do? I'll I'll go with the whole. Uh, I brought this up before the Vicky Guerrero thing. Vicky understood the business, understood how to get heat, and she wasn't always the best at like acting and delivering on everything. But I mean, the moment she said "excuse me," the whole crowd was just a complete waterfall of booze on her. Eva Maria gets a waterfall of booze. It's a, a variety of things. One, it's because she is trolling people right now, similar to uh, Y2J during his uh, 52nd comeback a few years ago where he came back and didn't say anything for a month before he finally uh, came out and said something. They're trying to do that right now with Eva Marie. She's not as talented as Jericho is, and will never be as talented as Jericho is. But they're trying to do that to get her like legit heat on top of the heat that she already has for, excuse me, uh, being jammed down our throats. You know, trying to compare uh, Eva Marie to Chris Jericho is kind of like trying to compare a filet mignon to a McDonald's cheeseburger. They're close. Not even close. But I'm just saying, like, she is, of the women's division, the like the one female who has legit people just booing the crap out of her. Natty, who is not doing anything to uh, garner, you know, fan affection right now, even she doesn't get booed as much as Eva Marie. And Natty's been there so much longer, and she's far better in the ring, and has done a good job of being a real, like, bitch to uh, Becky Lynch. And now to Carmella, after she had her little program with Becky Lynch. Right. Like I said, she's been doing better, but who's getting the louder reaction? Eva Marie. And that is the only reason why I would say she is good, even though she's bad. She's bad at what she does, and she's bad in the ring, but because we're getting her jammed down our throats, it's getting people pissed off enough to boo her, and they should do the same thing with Roman Reigns. They do boo Roman Reigns, though. Yeah, I know, but he's still treated as a, a face. No, no, it's, and you're right about that, and they should treat Roman Reigns like a bad guy, but I do agree with your point that you brought up with Eva Marie. It does make a lot of sense. Just from my perspective of the whole thing, I just think oh, it's it feels stupid. like a waste of time. It's a waste of time. It's like you could do so much more with SmackDown, especially on a week when you had a lot of those guys overseas doing the uh, the tours in um, New Zealand, I think, in Australia. Australia, New Zealand. And this is what you give us? Really? Really? Not to sound like The Miz, but really? Well, and I mean, I know that they want to sell tickets when they're doing those tours abroad, but like the only thing we got to see of, like, AJ Styles and John Cena, you know, a week and a half out of summer from SummerSlam was some prepackaged stuff on SmackDown, which it's like, guys, this is your number two show of the year. You you really need your big guns 
full tilt and you need to be running towards that finish line at this point and it kind of like at this point the build up to SummerSlam is a big letdown I, I think the matches will deliver but we'll see and I agree with that, and um, I think it's a good segue for uh, what we're going to talk about next. I say we just go right into SmackDown. All right. Because that's exactly, you know, we've been talking about SmackDown with the whole Eva Marie thing and, you know, Styles and Cena both being overseas for the tour during SmackDown. And honestly, SmackDown this week, considering that they had, like, the quote-unquote skeleton crew, I think it was it was pretty decent at, at at worst, it was decent. I wouldn't say it was a great SmackDown, considering... I thought it was better slam. than Raw. But it, it, was, <laughs> it's, it was definitely I fell asleep than Raw. during Raw, unfortunately. You fell asleep during Raw, and yesterday you and I had a conversation about what was the main event of Monday Night Raw, and neither one of us could remember it. So I mean, well, w- w- When it's that bad, it's like... Because I go back and I watch these things if I fall asleep or what have you, but it's like, if I fall asleep during Raw... The problem isn't on me. Did you fall asleep or did you pass out? I actually fell asleep this week. It wasn't a pass out. Uh, but, you know, like with SmackDown, last week, one thing I thought that they, you know, they teased and they did well was I knew going into this week it was going to be Ziggler and Ambrose going against the Wyatt family. We just knew that. Didn't we call that in last week's podcast, too? We may have, but it's one of those things where, like, they actually set it up. There was an actual story. It actually seems like, for a few of these things, they actually have some long-term planning, or at least planning that goes more than, like, uh, yeah, we've got SmackDown today. What matchups do we want to do? It actually seems like, you know, maybe they've thought about things for a week or two. So it's good to see things like that. The only thing I had a problem with with the uh, the main event of SmackDown this week, which was, like you said, Ziggler and Ambrose versus Bray Wyatt and Eric Rowan, was that they probably, you know, when they had their little promo that they cut at the beginning of the show and, you know, Ambrose comes out and talks to the Wyatts and then Dolph Ziggler comes in and just starts fighting them and then super kicks Dean Ambrose. You know, once you know once all that kind of went the way it did, you know, and the Wyatt family standing in the uh, down the ramp and... Ambrose and Ziggler are standing in the ring. I almost was expecting for Teddy Long's music to hit <laughs> and have him be like, hold on, wait a second there, player. I got an idea for a match tonight. Tonight we're going to have, it's going to be Bray Wyatt and Eric Rowan against Dolph Ziggler and the WWE World Heavyweight Champion, Dean Ambrose. Holla back if you can hear me. Player. So... You know what? That match was okay for what it was. I think they did a, a good job, again, of bringing the storyline forward. You know, you, you had the dissension between, you know, the two guys who were going to be one of the main events at SummerSlam. You had Ambrose and Ziggler. You're not sure if they could trust each other. You're not sure if maybe, like, when one of them goes to tag, the other one's like, ah, screw it, I'm not going to take the tag. You don't know if that's going to happen. Well, I think they did a good job in that they built that tension at the beginning of the show. You weren't sure how it was going to play out in the main event, whether or not, like, you know, they were going to turn their backs on each other and then, you know, the Wyatts get a win, or if it, you know, they ended up having Ziggler give a super kick to Eric Rowan, and I think that tension from the beginning will carry through to SummerSlam where it, it, 
just creates a little bit more friction because Ambrose was sitting there like, ah, oh, you kicked me on purpose, blah, 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 blah. So we'll see what happens. You know, every time Dolph Ziggler hits somebody with a super kick, I throw up in my mouth. It really just bothers me because he's every week he's becoming more and more of a Shawn Michaels knockoff. He's kind of like the Walmart brand Shawn Michaels, whereas Shawn Michaels is the name brand of Shawn Michaels and Dolph Ziggler you can get at Walmart for like $2 cheaper version of Shawn Michaels. Well, I brought this up before. Like, It's clear that Dolph is kind of a composite of many characters. You know, he's a bit of Shawn Michaels. He's a bit of Mr. Billy, Perfect. Billy Gunn. Billy Gunn. Ravishing Rick Rude. There's a bunch of guys like that where you combine them together, and then Dolph adds his own little thing to it. Uh, but, you know, they... They told him after, like, Shawn Michaels retired, like, hey, start adding the super kick to your repertoire. And unfortunately for me, the thing that ticks me off about that is they used it for high spots for a while where he would super kick people, and it was never the end of the match. It, and it kind of cheapened the move, and everybody uses a super kick. You've got Del Rio that has a super kick. You've got Rusev who has a super kick. And none of them were ending moves for a while. I'm glad at least now... They're respecting it as an ending move, and at least it's ending a match now, as opposed to, like, all right, he super kicked him. He kicked him really hard in the face, and he gets up at two. At least now they're giving it respect. Well, it's mainly because of the fact that that move, when Shawn Michaels used it, was a super, you know, was a finishing move because, you know, if Shawn Michaels super kicked you, you're not getting up. That was just always the thing. It was it was Shawn Michaels' move. So the fact well, that, he but stole you, it from gentleman Chris Adams, but. But everything, like you said before in this podcast, you know, every move has been stolen from somebody else. I mean, we've had this discussion yeah. before. I mean, Jake the Snake originated DDT. Uh, DDP originated the Diamond Cutter, which is now the RKO. I think the RKO actually looks more devastating. But almost every move, ending move, has been done before by somebody. Do you really think that uh, Ric Flair was the first person to ever use a figure four leg lock? Absolutely not. Just like there's 10 million guys who use the spear as their ending move, I still think... Uh, and the powerbomb, too. And the powerbomb. I think uh, the Goldberg spear, to me, was always the most potent because, I mean, it looked like he annihilated the guys. It was always, for me, between Goldberg and Rhino... And I'm talking like Rhino probably from like... Gore! Exactly. But I'm talking like Rhino 10 years ago when he was a little faster. Like, Rhino, I Not mean... Not as fat. Yeah, he's always been a bit bigger of a dude, but like... Goldberg and Rhino, to me, were the top two spears. I always thought that uh, Edge's spear sucked. But really, I always liked Edge's spear because he just made it so dramatic. Well, he, in the before corner, he did, he would, you know, he would just like try to rip his hair out, and he's like, "I'm going to spear the shit out of this guy." And you but know, he like he didn't run 500 miles an hour like Goldberg did. But it Goldberg, didn't look like he was decapitating people. It looked like he was giving them a hug and gently lying them down on the mat. Wow, that's a lot of hatred towards Edge's spear right there. Yeah, I don't, I didn't like Edge's spear at all. I, w I would have preferred if he used something else. But that's neither here nor there. Right. Uh, moving along a little bit here. Uh, also on SmackDown this week was uh, a very forgettable, time-filling match between Randy Orton and Alberto Del Rio. You know, obviously everybody knows Randy Orton has the big match at SummerSlam against Brock Lesnar, and it's just been like. Orton comes out of nowhere on Raw and hits Brock Lesnar with an RKO because you never know when you're going to get a hit with an RKO. Then the next night on SmackDown, Brock Lesnar comes comes out and attacks Randy Orton and hits him with an F5 and then gets thrown out of the building. 
So, I mean, it's like we got this big hyped-up match between Raw's Brock Lesnar and Randy Orton of SmackDown. You know, and Brock Lesnar is basically just showing up whenever the hell he wants to, and he's not really getting these matches. And it's like, well, you know, we got Randy Orton here, so who are we going to keep back from the tour, and we can have him fight Randy Orton? Oh, I know. Let's have Alberto Del Rio, because... And I mean, the, the, giving the commentators some credit here, you know, they brought up like, hey, you know, Del Rio is a multiple-time uh, world heavyweight champion, WWE si. champion. See, si. And it's great that they built him up like that, but... I mean, Del Rio has not been in the title picture, really, since he came back. He won the United States Championship from John Cena when Cena was having the, uh, right, the U.S. title open challenge. And he, came and back he was and going away on s- surgery anyway. Yeah. But like, And then he was in the League of Nations, and that was kind of stupid how they did that. They, they, but, they could have done so much more with that. But, but, I mean, if you're talking about the here and now, Alberto Del Rio, like, as far as WWE, is past his prime by about four years as far as how high he is he was up on the card. Right now, to me, he's, like, almost below mid-card because guess what? He doesn't even have a match at SummerSlam. That's very true. I mean, so, again, I give kudos to the commentators for playing up Del Rio as, like, a serious threat. But, you know, going into a lot of these matches, going into the bigger pay-per-views, you know that they have to put over Randy Orton, the returning guy, strong to make him seem like maybe he has a shot against Brock. And you just know before the match starts, you're like, all right, I know who's going to win this one. You know, it, it's always fun to, like, watch the journey and see what happens. Uh, but, you know, this match was completely predictable and completely forgettable. I so. agree with that. It's just, and the ending wasn't anything spectacular. Del Rio hitting Randy Orton with a chair, and it's like, oh, my God, I bet you Brock Lesnar's enjoying watching this at home. And, you know, he's he gets yeah, in the yeah, ring. Yeah, Brock is, is really at home, like, tending sheep and farming. He's he's hitting F fives on all the sheep in his in his yard, right? But you know they were talking about that because he got he attacked him outside the ring and then they got back in the ring and Orton's holding his shoulder and Del Rio's got the chair like he's gonna hit him and then oh my god RKO out of nowhere. Hey, you know what? Whenever Orton's in a match, you know what? He needs to hit the RKO because the crowd will go crazy. I know that Orton prefers to play heel, but unfortunately for uh, Orton at this point, no. Even if he is a heel, he will never be a true heel because that move is so over. People love seeing it. I mean, he always comes up with creative ways. He and the guy he's in the ring with come up with awesome creative ways to just make that move spectacular. And the fact that they actually have the videos on YouTube of RKO's out of nowhere and it's just random people falling and then they just computer-generated Randy Orton into the thing. And those things are fantastic. I If I... There's been times where I'm just like, I have a bad day at work or what have you, and I just, I'm in a bad mood when I get home, and I just, I go on YouTube, and I just click the Randy Orton RKO vines, and I just start watching them, and I'm like, all right, right it, life seems so much better now because of the of the Randy Orton vines. All right, random thought. What's more entertaining, the RKO out of nowhere from the vines or the Jim Ross commentary on everyday crap? Like the people doing the parkour stuff and like getting destroyed. You know that's such a tough call because I love the RKO. It's without question my favorite finishing move in the WWE right now. Considering for the longest time it was the Stone Cold Stunner, so you can actually see why I would pick the RKO. But Jim Ross, I mean, you 
if you look up the word legend in the dictionary, there's a picture of J.R. next to the definition of legend. So for me, that kind of really is the closest thing to a toss-up because I'm going to be disappointed with whatever one it's not for me, and I'm going to be happy with whatever one it is for me, and either one of them can be both. So I can't really say that I would actually pick one. I would say that one is one and one is or one A and one is one B. You know, it's just both that's awesome. how I look at. It. Yeah, I mean they're fantastic. So I mean, outside of that, another thing I thought that was actually probably to me the best thing with SmackDown was American Alpha going out there and kicking ass. A certain their name was Dominance. Is that what it, is that what he says in the movie? Announcing his presence, presence with, with authority. authority. Yeah. I've had too much to drink. Well, the thing with uh, American Alpha, like, they brought out every tag team to go and watch this match, and I think the thing that, as much as it was like, all right, are, are they bringing out everybody? But to me, it made it the American Alpha seem like a very big deal because everybody's coming out scouting them. They're a new team that just came up from NXT, everybody's talked so highly of them, now everybody's like, you know what, I need to see this up close and personal to know who I am going against. I thought it was interesting that they did that too. The The thing that actually made me laugh about the whole situation was there were three tag teams that came out to scout them. It was the Hype Brothers, which was Zack Ryder and Mojo Rawley. Obviously they've seen that tag team from their time in NXT as well. There was also the Villains. Also another team from NXT that came down and that has actually seen them before. And then there was the Ascension. Who have seen them before. And no, wait, wait. Did they? I mean, know, they might not have crossed paths. But the thing is that the Ascension is such a terrible tag team. They're kind of like the Bushwhackers of the WWE now. Because nobody really... Except for the fact that the Bushwhackers are were more over than the Ascension will ever be. WWE Hall of Famers. The Bushwhackers, yes. I, I thought it was interesting because, you know, like like you said, it's all the tag teams came out. They they beat a couple of Joe Schmoes. They beat Mike and Mike, actually, which was kind of funny <laughs> when that happened. And one of them was a fat Mike, and one of them was a skinny Mike. And they got the win in, like, two minutes and everything. And then there was a, a melee that broke out at the end. And obviously American, American Alpha. Alpha stood tall at the end of that melee. And I think it's good because I think they really want to... Make get, them feel special. And get the tag team division of SmackDown to be a little bit higher up than it should, considering that a lot of the better tag teams are on Monday Night Raw with, you know, Enzo and Big Cass and uh, Gallows and Anderson, to name a couple. Yeah. Obviously, the New Day, but... Right. Yeah, th so I, I thought it was good, especially since they want to promote the new tag team titles that they're going to bring out to SmackDown. At so, some point. Yeah. In, in Pro the future. Probably when the uh, the injured Uso comes back. Like, I don't even know which one it is, Jimmy or Jay. <laughs> really Anonymous just, Uso. It's it's one of those two. Jimmy Jay, we'll call him. Yeah, Jimmy Jay name. Uso. But, I mean, as far as uh, SmackDown goes, I mean, that was about it. Everything else was kind of like, eh, it well, was they, there. Well, they did have the, uh, what I thought was actually a very interesting part of SmackDown. It was actually my favorite part of SmackDown was the uh, Heath Slater versus Rhino match, where if Heath Slater... <laughs> beat Rhino, he would get a contract with SmackDown and, you know, he cut the promo with Rhino before and he was talking about how he had two kids and how he's supposed to feed them and then it went from two to four, four to seven, seven to twelve, twelve to thirty-six and obviously he's Slater being from West Virginia. That's pretty much how they count up there because they don't really know how to count. 
and he was talking about the pool that he has, and how am I supposed to maintain my pool? And Rhino's like, what kind of pool it is? He goes, it's a nice pool. Yeah, no shit. Every pool is nice. Above ground pool. But they came out with the above ground pool, and then, you know, they had their match. And yeah, I'll tell you, Heath Slater looked pretty good. You Go, know, Heath, Heath Slater is not that bad of a uh, performer. He, you know what? I give the dude credit. He he seems like he works hard. He seems like like people like him. And I think it has to do a lot with the fact that they give him shitty gimmicks to work with. Kind of like what they did with Sandow. He, it I, seems I, like he has fun but, with it, though. But he has fun with it. It's like, I'm a, I'm a one-man band, baby. And then he went to a three-man band, baby. And then he was a social outcast. And but Adam Rose killed that gimmick really quickly. And But he embraces all this stuff, which I think is why I, I'm pretty sure management like enjoys having him around because... If, if he's the only guy that bounces back between Raw and SmackDown, I don't have a problem with that. If he's just the one guy. I mean, if it's as long as it's not like, well, half of Raw is going to be on SmackDown this week and half of SmackDown is going to be on Raw, because then what's the point of doing the brand split? But you got Heath Slater, who's a free agent, so he's like, oh, i got to prove to the guys on Raw that i got to fight, so who am I going to fight this week? So he gets his ass kicked by Jinder Mahal, his former buddy in the three-man band. Oh, i got to prove to the guys on SmackDown. I have long out here, because I'm a, I'm a one-man band, baby, and then, oh, I'm going to get gored by Rhino. Honestly, I think... Uh we're going to find Mr. Slater on NXT pretty soon because Samoa Joe has mowed through most of the the division at this point. He's about to go against uh, Nakamura. My favorite NXT superstar. And after Nakamura, I mean, who's next? If Joe wins it, uh, uh, why can't I take over? Take, if Joe wins a takeover in Brooklyn, who's next for him? Yeah, Why not Heath Slater? First of all, he's not winning a takeover. If you ha- if they came up to me and said, look, we'll give you a million dollars, you have to bet on one person winning at NXT TakeOver in Brooklyn, and if you- if that person wins, you get a million dollars, it doesn't cost me a dime, but I could pick one person to win a million dollars, I'm taking Nakamura. Right. Nakamura is going to beat Samoa Joe at NXT TakeOver in Brooklyn. I am putting the Bobby the Brainless lock of the Is this going to be on your sheet of integrity? I don't have a sheet of integrity. That's during basketball, college basketball season. I was thinking so, about doing like the, the, the Mike and Mike Stone Cold lead pipe locks, but I'm like, I don't want to steal their thing. And Well, my the, lead pipe lock is going to be the Oscar is going to defeat Bailey, and Bailey is going to debut on one of the rosters after SummerSlam. I think it's interesting Probably Monday Night Raw. that we both have a lock for the takeover in Brooklyn, and neither one of us picked the most glorious person on the roster to win in his debut match at NXT TakeOver in Brooklyn. Hey, he he will win. Oh, he's going to win. I mean, that, that, but where's the fun in that? I mean, him fighting... It, it doesn't matter who he's fighting. He's going to win. They've made such a big deal out of him. And by the way, one of my favorite things now are the glorious bombs that happen with uh, Tommaso Ciampa and uh, Joey Gargano. They Johnny. Ch- whatever. Hey, you, you corrected me last week with the Carl and Ken Anderson, so I'm going to get you with the Johnny over Joey Gargano. Joey, Johnny, 
something like that. And that's going to happen Johnny on a weekly Wrestling. We're, we're both going to be doing this on a weekly basis. One of us is going to slip up with a name, and we both kind of expect it, and we're both going to just bust each other's balls about you know getting the names wrong, right? Because it's fun. But uh, I don't know if you've seen these things, but like they'll those guys will be in like random areas. And next thing you know, all of a sudden, Bobby Roode shows up, and they have his song playing, The Glorious. I, I My favorite song. one of the videos that they had was they got Bobby Roode to do a glorious bomb after he laid a glorious bomb in the bathroom. So Yeah, that was I, awesome. I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. The one with him on the plane was, was very entertaining, the too. The one in the bus. The one in the bus. I, I think that it's, it's great. I, I think that Ciampa and Gargano came up with something good with Bobby Roode, and I hope they keep doing it. Well, and you know that it's apparent that those guys understand how media works now, and they're, you know, through the roof with that stuff. It's awesome. But you know, with with uh, all the stuff going on with uh, SmackDown this week, you know, Heath Slater, like I said, I think we'll be making some appearances in NXT before he finds himself back on the main roster. And that'll, I think the NXT thing will be like a temporary thing. It'll be part of the storyline kind of going through. Eh, that'll be fun. Uh, but, you know what? Now that we, like, started talking NXT, you put your lock in for uh, for TakeOver. I put in my lock for TakeOver. And we put in our dual lock at TakeOver, you know, since our pod- next podcast isn't going to be until after TakeOver next week, maybe we should, you know... Talk about NXT? Talk about NXT. The, uh, the, the, the TakeOver matches and the card and everything? Yeah, I, I have no problem talking about that. Honestly, I think right now with TakeOver, I am looking more forward to TakeOver than SummerSlam. They've done a much better job of building up all those different matches, like... As much as I know, or at least in my brain, I know Asuka is going to beat Bailey. they've done a great job of building up that rivalry between the two of them. Asuka, like, on social media, continues to just taunt Bailey. You know, they've built up that storyline week after week. They had the, uh, the contract signing on NXT this week, and I thought that was very well done between the two ladies. Uh, even though at the end of it, when Asuka, you know, bumped into Bailey and everything and walked out of the ring, Bailey looked like she was going to cry, but that's okay. I I also agree they've actually done an unbelievable job promoting the uh, Takeover. I'm actually more excited for Takeover than I am for SummerSlam this this year. They have a lot of good matches for Takeover, like you said, the Asuka and Bailey match. We've also brought up the uh, Samoa Joe and Shinsuke Nakamura match. That match is going to be fantastic. Um. <clears throat> Bobby Roode makes his debut at NXT TakeOver. Against uh, Andrade Almas. And I've Cien? seen... All... That's it? Cien? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, like, I've seen him in a few matches. Like, he has a, a pretty good moveset. Uh, but, like, honestly, like, there's nothing to me that says, like, wow with him. He's fine. But he's just not. He's a good guy to lead off for Bobby Roode to make his debut at the Takeover. It gives Almas. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, you know, it gives Almas a, a legitimate opponent to fight. Gives him a chance to 
getting himself out there so the people can see him. I think that's going to be a pretty good match. Bobby Roode is a is a very well known veteran in ring per- performer. He's been wrestling for a very long time. He's been everywhere except for like he's probably I think he's done a couple of like one offs for for WWE back when they had Sunday Night Heat. He would be like the jobber right that they would have. But like in his first legit WWE run. I think it, this is a good way to start him off. I think he can be a legit guy that when he gets to the main roster could actually, you know, be like mid, upper mid card. Uh, and I think if they have him uh, out there in a for TakeOver, this will be a pretty high profile match. I think they'll both look really good and I think Bobby Roode is going to shine in this match. Imagine when Bobby Roode gets up to the roster and he gets into a feud with like the Miz. It's going to be glorious versus awesome. Pretty I mean, that's, good. that's gonna that's gonna write itself right there. Uh, another match that sticks out for me for NXT Takeover is uh, Austin Aries has been whining and crying about getting a match for the Takeover, and he's been talking to Regal, and Regal goes, "Well, fine." I'm going to give you somebody that you've been ducking to fight at NXT TakeOver, so you're going to fight No Way Jose. And it would have been hilarious if Austin Aries kind of looked at him and went, No Way Jose. <laughs> I mean, that that would have been great. I think that's going to be a very good match. No Way Jose, very good in-ring performer. Austin Aries, another veteran from the former TNA superstar. You know, he's... Ring of Honor. He's, Ring of he's Honor. been he's, around he's the been block. He's been around, and he's he's very good in the ring. I love Austin Aries. one of my His favorites. His character is awesome, too. Honestly, I think he's one of those guys, when WWE finally gets the Cruiserweight division up and running on Raw, I think he would fill that bill awesome. When he was in TNA, he, w- he was ex-division champion, uh, acted like a badass, really wore the championship well, like, did a lot of respect for that title, and like stepped up to the plate and became like a main event player in TNA. I think he could. Uh, I don't think he'd ever be a main event player in WWE, but I think he uh, very good role player that they can add to the mid card to the cruiserweight division that they really want to build up. And the thing is, I hope. Uh, I've said this before. I hope that you know when they do this cruiserweight thing, you know you look at uh, a thing like UFC. UFC, you don't need to be a heavyweight to main event the card, you got a guy like Conor McGregor, who is a, a a dude who is a smaller dude, but he main events pay-per-views because people are behind him. I hope when this cruiserweight division uh, gets going that they treat it with a lot of respect, and, you know, they'll have to build it up, but it can be built up, so it can main event shows. I, it won't be anything soon, but I think a guy like Austin Aries will be a good guy in the in hopefully the not so distant future on the main roster, helping build up that brand. I think to help build up that brand, I think he should win at Takeover, and I think he will. And the like you brought up with how the cruiserweight division can actually main event a pay per view because it's happened before. It worked a, for a lot of years in WCW. The WCW back in the late 90s, early 2000s, the Cruiserweight division was the best part about 
uh, WCW. I mean, everybody as talks about... As far as in-ring. Yeah. If you're I mean, talking characters, NWO definitely I mean, oh, was... Yeah, definitely was the reason why WCW was successful. But what really draw, drew me to WCW was the Cruiserweight division because of guys like Chris Jericho and Rey Mysterio, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero, Juventu Guerrero, the Ultimo Dragon, Chavo Guerrero. Those guys really just were mainstays in the, in the Cruiserweight division. Even, like, Alex Wright was... Somebody yeah, he was who a was cruiserweight champion. Cruiserweight. Like to me, like I, that's a nice dance. He's doing the Alex Wright dance. It looks really nice. <laughs> so, uh, but the thing was back in the day, as much as I liked the nostalgia trip of seeing the Hogans, of seeing the Flares, of seeing the Stings on WCW television back then, I preferred the newer guys from the cruiserweight division because, like. All those other guys I had seen for years and years and years knew their thing, at least with Sting. Like, he kind of, like, changed his character. Hogan changed his character, but, you know, even after a while, Hollywood Hogan started to get, like, eh, eh, whatever. All right, they beat people up, and they uh, put NWO on their back. Jericho, I mean, between the thousand and four holds thing, the time when he went to, like, the Library of Congress and, like, was just randomly interviewing people, the... Building up a match, well, what was supposed to be a match with Goldberg. I mean, he was the funniest and best thing about Monday Nitro to me. Like, when he would come out, Welcome to Monday Night Jericho! Oh, I mean, kind of like what he did when he went to the WWE, where it was, Raw is Jericho! But, I mean, when he first debuted, I knew exactly what he was going to say. He was going to say, Raw is Jericho, but it was because I was conditioned when he was in WCW, where, and with all the stuff that Jericho used to do, like... He, they came out with a DVD a, a little while back with Jericho, and he was like, you know, after a while I was just getting sick of stuff, so I went out there to entertain myself, so I just started messing around. I said, hey, can you give me 90 seconds to talk? Yeah, here you go, kid. He would go out there and he'd kill it. I'm hoping, again, the with the cruiserweight division, which allegedly is coming in September, kind of when the cruiserweight classic ends, I, I think... Again, they treat it with respect and bring it up. I think that could be something special. And I think this is a good segue to go into our next topic. Since we've been talking about the Cruiserweight division, let's go right into the uh, Cruiserweight Classic. Uh, this week in the Cruiserweight Classic, there was two fantastic matches. They had um, Tajiri versus Grand Metallic in the first of the two matches of the it's day. Metallic. Uh, oh, yeah, whatever. But yeah, Those are really Grand Metalik, and then you had Abushi and uh, Cedric, Cedric Alexander, Alexander, which definitely match of the week. I I can even say go as far as say that the Ibushi Alexander match could be a match of the year candidate because I thought they had such a fantastic match. I mean, for me, uh, I'm a little bit more partial to the Champa Gargano match. I'm not saying that the Ibushi match, uh, Cedric Alexander match was crap. I'm just saying I liked it just, I mean, smidge. The, the, just the, a the smidge s- for me. The story between Gargano and Ciampa was, tag def- team partners. was definitely better. Me, personally, especially because I watched both matches, I thought that the Ibushi Alexander match was just slightly better than Ciampa and Gargano. I thought they had a great match as well the, the week prior. 
obviously they deserve to be in the main event of the last of the first round matches. Oh, absolutely. But I, Ibushi and Alexander had a fantastic match. They, they tore the house down. I mean, the fact that the fans started chanting, sign Alexander, sign Alexander, Triple H comes out. I mean, that was just a freaking awesome moment. And, you know, I mean, it's such a shame because of the fact that the match before between Metallic and Tajiri which was also a fantastic match, but it doesn't get the recognition because of the fact that Ibushi and Alexander had such a great match afterwards. I give a lot of kudos to Tajiri. Well, what, honestly, Tajiri is 45 years old. The pace at the beginning of that match, I'm like looking at it, I'm like, this dude's moving around like he's like in his early 20s, and it, it was phenomenal. I'm like, all right, you go, Tajiri. Dude is still, he's still got it. And I'll, I'll say this, and I've been saying, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I'm going to keep saying it until it happens. Of all the guys in the Cruiserweight Classic, I would love to see them re-sign Tajiri. Tajiri was one of my favorite guys. I was a fan of his when he was in ECW. Him and Super Crazy had some unbelievable matches on ECW together. Uh, even in his run with uh, the WWE, where he was a three-time Light heavyweight champion, I believe, or a two-time light heavyweight and a cruiserweight time, but, champion. Yeah. But he won championships there. He was a tag team champion there. He had a he had a nice rivalry there and a and a friendship with Stephen Regal or William Regal, whatever you want to call him. And I, I think his addition to the roster, especially because they're looking for guys in their forties, well, to you help need somebody to, to be like legitimate to put other people, people over. Yeah, I think that he's one of those guys that could definitely work with those younger kids to help put them over. He's still talented enough to be considered like a legitimate threat in the cruiserweight division. I would love to see him come back. Well, and the thing is with the cruiserweights, it's not like you could do like what what WWE is doing with Braun Strowman where you throw like a cruiserweight in against Braun Strowman, a local jobber, and he beats the hell out of him. With cruiserweights, even if you get a small guy, you know, small guy versus small guy does not make you feel like on oh, this is going to be a squash match. So you need somebody who has some connection to the audience, who has some legitimacy. I, I agree they should bring Tajiri into this. And you also brought up the fact that the fans were chanting sign Alexander. I agree with that, too. There's a, there's a few guys that are in this Cruiserweight class that I would love to see. The I have no doubt Alexander is signed, or at least they're very far along in negotiations. We will see him in September on Raw. Are we going to see him at WrestleMania 33? We are, but he'll probably be Andre the Giant uh, Memorial Battle Royal. Nothing wrong with that, but like he's not going to be high profile at that point. But it's possible, he could depending play. on how things go, Cruiserweight Championship match, which would probably lead off the card. I don't know if it would you know, be a better lead off than your favorite match of WrestleMania uh Oh, yeah, nothing's ever going to top uh, WrestleMania 20... I think it was 29? No, uh, Sheamus Shame, and... That was not 29. Sheamus and Daniel Bryan was not 29? 29. 29 was uh, Daniel Bryan teamed up with Kane to beat Dolph Ziggler and... Uh, I must be thinking 28. 28. It was WrestleMania 28 where Sheamus uh, broke-kicked Daniel Bryan's head off after he got kissed by AJ Lee, and... Was it 18 or 19 18 seconds? 18 seconds. Yeah. Sheamus became the new WWE World Heavyweight Champion. But, uh, you, you know, I'm excited for the cruiserweight division. Uh, hopefully it will give a much-needed jolt to 
whatever hour of Raw they decide to have those matches in. Because I think what they'll probably end up doing, they're going to probably format the show where they're going to inject the cruiserweights in an area that they've been having, like, issues with. In general, like, Raw, when you get to, like, hour three, it kind of like, that's when you nod off. That's when I nodded off this week. But uh, Cruiserweight Classic, on the other hand, you know, it's an hour, bang, 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 bang. You know, they're not telling stories. It's just the in-ring product, which has been awesome. It's been off the charts, and I've also loved the commentary. You could tell that Mauro Ronaldo and Daniel Bryan absolutely love watching these matches. They're inspired by this stuff, and I just... (laughs) When Daniel Bryan's like, Oh my God! He chopped him in the face! He did that again this week, and it's just... It, th- when it happened the week before, like it, it didn't look like the guy like actually smacked him in the face, but just how he, Brian reacted. And then he did it again this week. Oh my god, he chopped him in the face! Awesome. Also, somebody who... Al- someone or else who deserves... Smacked him in the face? Smacked him in the face. Somebody else who deserves a lot of credit for being really good with the Cruiserweight Classic is Corey Graves playing that kind of Ryan Seacrest role yeah. in the Cruiserweight Classic. Because even he, when they had him talk at the beginning of the Cruiserweight Classic second round, was talking about how great it was, how awesome these ma- matches were. You know, Corey Graves being the uh, pretty much the chicken shit heel as part of the broadcast team for Monday Night Raw and kind of for, like, NXT still. So the fact that he was sitting there talking, you know, standing there talking like, oh, my God, these matches are great. You know, it really does... It helps promote the product that they're putting out there with the Cruiserweight Classic. And its credibility, definitely. And its credibility, because Corey Graves, as a former professional wrestler, knows a thing or two about professional wrestling. And I think that with the Ronaldo and Daniel Bryan team that they have doing the, the calls for the Cruiserweight Classic is just fantastic. You know, Ronaldo, other than the fact that every other word out of his mouth is, Oh, mama mia! It's like, dude. Well, with Ronaldo, like, I, I, I like him. There, there are still some times where I feel like he's trying too hard. Like, he comes up with a bunch of sayings, and it may take time, but it's like some of those sayings, like, usually you hear somebody say something on TV, and then you start seeing signs in the audience for some of that stuff. I have not seen any signs come up yet for any of the things Ronaldo has come up with. There are a couple times I laugh. Most of the time I'm like, ugh. But... I like the fact that Ronaldo sounds excited for the product. I Daniel Bryan's, I mean, it, as far as like having a professional voice, he he doesn't have like a professional radio voice or anything like that. But the fact that his excitement level is so high, it makes you feel more excited. I mean, Daniel Bryan is out there as a fan, not really a commentator, and it's I think it just streams right through the TV screen. Right. I, I agree with you. I think that he was a nice addition to the Cruiserweight Classic. You know, this was something that they decided to have him do before they made him general manager of Tuesday Night SmackDown Live. I think that, especially because of the fact that he has been somebody who wrestled in the independent circuit for 10 years before he got to the WWE, and the fact that he pretty much is a Cruiserweight, so that's his fighting style. He knows how to fight like the guys that are in the Cruiserweight Classic. You know, if he hadn't gotten injured... Daniel Bryan would have been obviously the f- the favorite to win the Cruiserweight Classic if he was in it. 
Obviously, with Ibushi being in it, and you had, you know, you have guys. Well, you got like Brian Kendrick, and you got. Uh, I still don't like Brian Kendrick. Well, you, you know what? The dude's talented. Brian. Uh, He's a douche, that's for damn sure. Well, uh, during his first round match, a bunch of people were cheering for him, and he got them to turn against him just by his actions in the ring during that match. If that's not talent, I mean... Oh, I'm not saying he's not a talented individual. I'm just saying he's a douche. That's fine. I'm a fucking Mark, and that's what Marks do. They they tell it how it is about professional wrestling. You know, we, we talk about how much we hate John Cena and how much we hate Roman Reigns because WWE gives us the same bullshit every single week. It's like, oh, well, you know, John Cena's going to go out there, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of going on an ADHD moment, but this kind of... It's kind of going... It kind of has to do with what... This whole my my feelings towards Brian Kendrick and kind of showing my my markmanship of being a mark. Just the whole just John say Cena, the whole John Cena thing, and it really bothered me for a long time. It's like you know what? It's like well, we could give Dolph Ziggler a world heavyweight title shot against Randy Orton, but let's just have John Cena fight Randy Orton for the five thousandth time. For the five billionth time, it's going to be Cena and Orton, or it's going to be Cena and Del Rio, or it's going to be Cena and Kane, or Cena and Big Show. You know, it's Cena, 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 Cena. And he comes out with his golden shovel, and he just buries people. And then for the upteenth time, John Cena's WWE champion. <laughs> you know, it's just, it gets kind of stupid and played out. It's like... Yeah, but you know, Kendrick hasn't been in WWE for a while. Oh, so I, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, as a, as a mark, I just don't like Brian Kendrick. I never liked Brian Kendrick. I thought he was just this dweeby douche that, you know, he was with Paul London, and they were the modern era's longest reigning WWE tag team champions until one of my all-time favorite tag teams now just passed that streak a couple of weeks ago. And I didn't like him then. I didn't like him when he was the Brian Kendrick and he used to come out with Ezekiel Jackson. He used to dance like he was on shrooms on his way to the ring and everything. And I was like, this guy's just a tool. Well, I mean, whatever. I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, Brian Kendrick's going to be looking at the... Lights uh, during this round of the Cruiserweight Classic. I don't think he's going past round two. I think, you know, he's there to put somebody over. Uh, I think he's going to end up being a trainer at NXT. And I think, you know what? If they use him to put somebody over, good for them. And I'm sure Brian Kendrick doesn't like me either, but that's neither here nor there. So, I mean... Uh, outside of that, then we go to the low point of the week, Monday Night Raw. Wow, an hour into the podcast, and we haven't even talked about Monday Night Raw. Well, I mean, I talked about how I fell asleep during Raw. Like, honestly, for me, the high point every week of Monday Night Raw, as much as I prefer the nice, long, athletic matches, Braun Strowman destroying people is now my favorite thing. I think every week... While I'm watching Raw, instead of watching the whole show, once the Braun Strowman match is over, I'm going to start rewinding it, and I'm going to play it back. I'm going to say this. For the next two and a half hours. You know, the first the first uh, Monday Night Raw of the new era, when he fought James Ellsworth, I must have watched that match officially now 12,316 times. Wow. And, you know, the second week, I don't even remember what the guy's name was. I didn't watch it as many times. The he got paid won. more. The guy got paid more than Ellsworth. Ellsworth got seven hundred bucks. The next you know, guy got a, a thousand. You know, Ellsworth just—that's a lot of scratch tickets. You know, Ellsworth just cut a better promo. I think that's what it was. And I, I, I always laugh. Like anybody with two, 
with two hands have a fighting chance. I mean, just the fact that he cut the promo and it was just very entertaining. And then the look on his face right before Strowman just freaking spikes him into the ground like Rob Gronkowski face after plant. a touchdown was just great. I mean, the second guy, forgettable. And, you know, they Even let this him... Guy, week's guy was forgettable, but... Everything, everything uh, this week, it doesn't I mean, matter who they are. And, you know, it's, ma- it's going to make Anonymous sound, henchmen. And it's going to make me sound like kind of a hypocrite because of the fact that they're doing the whole thing with Eva Marie on SmackDown, and I hate it because it's like you're not even giving her a chance to fight, and yet you're going to have Braun Strowman go out there, and in 93 seconds he just dissects somebody and just rips them to shreds. But it's not even just the fact that, you know, Strowman's going out there and just destroying these guys. You know, the first week it was, the guy's like, I'm living the dream, I'm making my Monday Night Raw debut. I didn't think it was going to be against Braun Strowman. And then the following week a guy cuts the promo and he was like, whoa, they paid me $1,000 to fight Braun Strowman. And if I win, I get $5,000. And you know, I still think that Byron Saxon, that second promo that was, the, the second guy cut the promo on, shouldn't be like, well, I guess you're not going to see that $5,000. And then this week, they actually had the guy backstage, and Byron Saxon's interviewing him, and he's like, so how do you feel about fighting Braun Strowman? You know, Strowman's on his way to the ring, and the guy's just standing there like, speechless. are you going to say something? Or, I mean, did they pay you not to cut a promo? And he actually got an entrance. Like, he came out, they had music playing. I highly doubt they had anything on the Titantron when he came out. But the fact is, they gave him him an entrance. And you know it's great. I I think it's it like you said. It's my favorite thing that's on Monday Night Raw now every week. It's it's just a very entertaining segment that they have, even though it's four minutes tops and what have you. Between between the Braun Strowman squash matches and Enzo Amore and Big Cass, what they're going to do every single week, I have no other reason to watch Monday Night Raw. I, I mean, even there, with, there were other uh, other things that were okay with Raw, but in general, like it's just so damn long. You get kind of after that two-hour mark, and it's like, uh, God damn it, there's another hour to go. Uh, it's like Buzz Killington on Family Guy. It's like, there's another hour? All right. All right. That's that's when you're in the bathroom after two hours of Monday Night Raw, and you're like, God damn it, there's another hour left, and you're under the sink, and you're trying to find the bottle of bleach just to put yourself out of misery. Right. So, uh, I mean, Braun, definitely a high point of the show for me. I I thought uh, Cesaro and Sheamus had a pretty good match. It's good that they actually finally have... I think Cesaro has now won two in a a row, so this is not 50-50 booking. And if Cesaro wins this week against Sheamus on Raw, that's what we call a winning streak. That's right. And, you know what? It has happened before. (laughs) So, I like the fact that they're actually not booking it even. I hope they have Cesaro continue to win. I think he still needs to kind of uh, work on his character, because outside of his character kind of being very cool looking and being awesome in the ring... A Jason Statham knockoff. But, honestly, what do you know about him, Homer Simpson? What do you know about his character besides that he looks cool and he kind of kicks ass? He speaks five different languages. They call him the Swiss Superman. Uh, he was the first ever winner of the inaugural Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. That's an accolade. That's not an actual character trait. But it, it, you asked me what I know about him, and that's something that I know about him. Um, I know he used to wrestle in Ring of Honor. He had some unbelievable matches with Daniel Bryan when they were both back in Ring of Honor together. Well, I- I'm talking character traits, not like... he He's a Paul Heyman guy. Or was, used to be. Was. 
He wears sunglasses. You, you know nothing about him, really. I mean, other th- again, he looks cool. He he's what do you, won a few times. Uh, well, that's, all right, let me let me flip this a little bit in your sure. direction, okay? What do you know about Seamus? Uh, he's from Ireland. He likes to drink. He likes to beat people up. And honestly, outside of that, uh, I mean, the most unique thing about him is how light his skin tone is and how stupid his hair looks. I think his hair looks cool. I just didn't like when he had that stupid beard with the braids and it looked like a just a turd. <laughs> yeah, he did. You know, and it, it always makes me feel bad with my Irish heritage that, you know, there was a guy like that coming out there and it's like, oh, for fuck's sakes, why is he going to have a freaking beard like that, fella? And the thing is... That sounded more Scottish than Irish, sorry. That's fine, I guess. But, like, the match that the two of them had, completely fine, but, like... They're a good complement to each other as in-ring performers. I I love the fact that, you know, it looks like they're legitimately beating the hell out of each other, because it makes it feel more real. I'm sure the next morning, both of them are pretty sore because, you know, they're laying... The shot's in pretty stiff. You know, and when they had their match last week, not this past Monday Night Raw, but the week before, uh, when Cesaro hit an uppercut on Sheamus and knocked some teeth loose and he had to go see the dentist. So, definitely goes to what you said about how they're probably feeling it the next day. So, uh, I mean, they're fine. I think both of them need character work. And hopefully, I mean, I think the three-hour freaking Raws, they have plenty of time to take those characters and take them to the next level. But we shall see. We'll see. I don't think they really need to develop Seamus' character any more than they already have. Seamus kind of already established himself as one of the mainstays of the WWE. I mean, he's been there for like six or seven years, maybe even longer. You know, he's a former WWE champion. He's a former World Heavyweight champion, former Intercontinental champion, former United States champion. He's won the Royal Rumble. He's King won. The ring. He's won the King of the Ring. He's won the Money in the Bank. He's like one of like maybe two guys that have ever won all all those accomplishments in the WWE. Can you name anybody else who's actually done that? Probably Triple H. Uh, I don't, yeah, even, think, so I, the, I don't even think the greatest wrestler of all time won the King of the Ring. No. Uh, but oh, actually, you, wait. Now that I think about it, no, Stone Cold Steve Austin did win King of the Ring. Well, he he won it. Austin three sixteen. That was that was the crowning of that was the jumping point for Stone Cold Steve Austin's career. It it was, but you know, with Sheamus, you know, he he's had a, a thing or two with. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. Let's just put it that way. He'll be in the Hall of Fame. Coco Beware's in the Hall of Fame for God's sake, though. I can't wait till we have our Hall of Fame discussion podcast. By the way, it'll it, yeah that'll that'll be happening soon. So. Uh, you know, another thing that they kind of teased last week with Raw, which I I shouldn't say last week at this point, it's almost two weeks ago, but they kind of teased that at some point, you know, we might see Enzo and Big Cass against Jericho and... Hey, Big Cass! Hey, Big Cass! Hey, Big Cass! And Kevin Owens. And we got to see that this week. I thought it was pretty entertaining. Uh, but again, not enough to save Raw. All I'm going to say is that everybody's talking about how they're excited for the Randy Orton and Brock Lesnar match, and a lot of people are excited for the Seth Rollins and Finn Balor match. You know, I'm not not to say that I'm not excited for either one of those two matches, but 
the fact that it's going to be Jericho and Kevin Owens versus Enzo and Big Cass at SummerSlam, do you know how excited I am? Just because the promos that they're cutting are just fantastic. You know, you know, Enzo comes out there and calls Chris Jericho, John Bon Jericho, and then Jericho's like, well, you're kind of like those cartoon dogs, and Enzo's just a dog, and he's like, hey, Big Cass, hey, Big Cass, hey, Big Cass. And I mean, it's just, it's funny because you know what Jericho, you know what to expect. Sure. He's going to give you 120% when he's cutting a promo. And Enzo Amore is definitely one of those guys that has established himself as one of the better guys on the mic. And he's not only does he look unique, but his perspective on his promos is very unique. He looks like a cheetah wearing Nikes. He does. And that's fine. And I think it's it's great. I I'm Since I found out who Enzo Amore is, I've become one of his bigger fans. I'm supporting Enzo and Big Cass. I definitely see them as future tag team champions in the WWE. I could definitely see Enzo Amore becoming like an intercontinental champion, a United States champion. And he's a cruiserweight maybe, size. Maybe, he's cruiserweight yeah, size, so and, he could be a cruiserweight guy. And, and maybe one day win like the universal title. But Big Cass, God, the sky's the limit. And why? It's because he's seven foot tall. And he could talk on the mic. And you can't teach that. You could kind of keep teach the mic thing. Well, kind you, of. You, you can't teach seven feet tall. Though. You can't teach that. But, <laughs> you, you know, I, I, I'm glad with all of that. They, they've they done a little bit of building up, and they've done something a little different as opposed to like, you know, all right, let's put Jericho in a match with somebody. Fun. Dongo. And let's have Jericho put that person over. That's one thing different about this run versus a lot of the more recent runs that Jericho's had. Like, exactly. after a couple of times, like, you knew he was putting the newer guy over to help them go to the next level. It hasn't always worked, Fandango. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, every time he comes back, whether it was, like, having that program with Wyatt where, you know, he lost two or three to Wyatt, he lost, you know... Everybody was expecting this year for him to lose two of three to AJ, but he didn't. And that's the thing that's been unique about this run is that he hasn't, you know, gone in the straight line of what he has the last couple of times he's been back where, all right, I'm going to come back and put over the other talent because I think he heard enough of the whines from the internet wrestling uh, marks like us where it's like, dude, you're coming back just to lose. And you know what? He heard them, and he's like going, you know what? I'm not going to lose all the time. I'm going to go idiots. out there and win. Stupid idiots. Stupid idiots. I'm not going to go out there and win every time. I'm going to win when it seems right, but also I'm going to elevate the guy even if I do win. Look at AJ Styles. He and AJ Styles had a great match at WrestleMania, and... AJ lost, but who was the guy in the heavyweight championship match at the next pay-per-view? AJ Styles. Because Jericho helped elevate him with Jericho's stature in WWE. AJ was a big star around the world, but not in WWE. And Jericho like gave him legitimacy. And then AJ wins that uh, match on Monday Night Raw, the uh, Fatal 4-Way, and gets into that match, and he seemed like a legitimate contender because he hung in the ring with Chris Jericho. Jericho, this run, has been a little different, and Jericho in this run, 
you know, being with Kevin Owens at SummerSlam, that it's a, a fun little team. The wordplay back and forth between the four of them is going to be awesome for, you know, Monday on Raw, and I think they'll probably cut a promo right before their match at SummerSlam. Mm. It's going to be fun, and I think it's... I'm looking forward to the match, I'm looking forward to the promos, and we'll see what happens. Uh, but one thing that, for me, has kind of failed with this uh SummerSlam build-up. I think they did a good job a couple of weeks ago kind of elevating Finn Balor, but, you know, the last couple of weeks, uh, I mean, his promo a week and a half ago on Monday Night Raw was not anything incredible. It it was alright, but there's not like a... There's not a lot going on for me with Balor and Rollins. I know the match is going to be off the charts, but... I guess we'll we'll see. Hopefully they do a better job of building that match this week. But, I mean, they've been building it for a few weeks, and uh, I'm just not feeling it. I know the match is going to be awesome. I just don't... Whatever. I'm actually really excited for that match. I think that... Well, the match is going to be awesome, yeah. but they haven't done anything where I'm like, on. I have to see this match. I feel more like... I have to see the Brock Lesnar-Randy Orton match than I do this match. And it's because of the fact that they've, prom- they've been promoting that match better than any other match on this card. And it's like you said earlier about how they've been doing a better job at promoting NXT TakeOver in Brooklyn than they have with SummerSlam. And I couldn't agree with you more about anything. They just really have dropped the ball with promoting SummerSlam this year because it's like you have a lot of great matches that are going to be on this card. And it's not just... I don't think there are going to be any matches where I'm like... Well, that 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 was terrible. Do like, you, it, do you think that Braun Strowman's going to have a squash match at SummerSlam? I think there might be one on the pre-show, uh, which is going to be tremendous. Uh, I think they've done all right with uh, building up the uh, Charlotte rematch against Sasha Banks. They've done fine with that. Which they did uh, a match on Raw between Sasha Banks and Dana Brooke, where if Sasha won, it would be a one-on-one match at SummerSlam against... Um, Charlotte, and if Dana Brooke had beaten her, it would have been a two-on-one handicap match. Which to me was kind of stupid, but... Come on, it's the WWE. They've done a lot of stupid shit over the years. They've done a lot of stupid stuff, but, like, really? Like, what happens in a two-on-one handicap match for the women's title? Uh, Is it, like, back in the day when they had, uh, what's their name, Michelle McCool and Layla? Uh... Flawless. What the hell was their names? That's what it was. It was Flawless. But, you know, back then they had, like, the uh, them as co-champions. It, would it be something like that? Uh, it ju- It's just stupid and nonsensical. I'm glad that they had Sasha win. Uh, and I think she'll go over at SummerSlam, but I guess we'll get more in-depth with SummerSlam predictions Next week? Yeah, when we have our podcast right before Right SummerSlam. before the pay-per-view. Yeah, and I think that's going to be something to look forward to. I, I'm Like I said, there's a lot of matches I'm really looking forward to for SummerSlam. I really do hope they do something with Braun Strowman. That's just because I'm they a mark. Will. They will. You know, and, and speaking of Braun Strowman and him having squash matches, uh, previously on Twitter we've been kind of promoting to the WWE about a possibility of a opponent 
for Braun Strowman for him to squash in about 90 seconds. And there's a guy down here in the uh, Virginia, North Carolina area who goes by the name of the Man Scout that we've been kind of trying to get the WWE to stick in the ring against Braun Strowman. He's been kind of, you know, like, yeah, you know, let's do it and shit like that. He's been retweeting us, favoriting our tweets and what have you. His gimmick is just hilarious. He's dressed up in a Boy Scout outfit. He's got a porn stash, and he brings his Boy Scout, I'm sorry, his Man Scout handbook with him down to the ring. His promo would be awesome. And I really do think that this guy isn't like just some Joe Schmo that some of the other independent circuits have actually thrown out there. You know, like uh, with NEW, they have a guy named um, Ron Zombie, who is an absolute joke to the wrestling business if you ever got to see him wrestle, which I have, so I can actually vouch that it's just absolutely horrible. The only thing worse in the independent circuit is when Scott Hall showed up after having a stroke and tried to collect a paycheck and that embarrassment up in, uh, I think it was Maine? Fall River. Fall River, there. Massachusetts. You were there. I was there. And, you know, it's just, it, it's, it was pretty pathetic. But this guy has some credibility. Uh, next month, I believe, September, I want to say 23rd or the 16th. I don't know. He's in North, Car- North they're gonna Carolina. Have a, they're going to have an event in North Carolina. Hell, it could be even next Sunday, all I know, where he's going to be fighting uh, a Cruiserweight Classic competitor, Cedric Alexander, who we were just talking about earlier in the podcast, in this show in North Carolina. Not um, that long ago, he uh, fought uh, Kevin Steen, the now current Kevin Owens. Who is my favorite wrestler in the WWE. But I thought The Miz was. I have a lot of favorite wrestlers in the WWE. I'm a fucking Mark. That's what I do. Everybody's your favorite, aren't they? Except for Ava Marie. And John Cena. Okay. And Roman Reigns. Who Roman, Roman Reigns is like the J.D. Drew of the WWE. Okay. I can't stand him. And John Cena's Robbie Ross. Robbie Ross is a treasure. He's a treasurer, right? Treasure up my... Well, hey, hey. Now, speaking of a treasure, you know who is a real treasure... Curtis Axel. Curtis Axel is a treasure. That guy... Is, is it because he's a former Intercontinental Champion? No. No. It's because he's been... Is it because he's the son of Mr. Perfect? No. Is it because he's a former Paul Heyman guy? Or no. is it because he's a social outcast? No. It's because he's been in the Royal Rumble... For 566 days. Can you believe that? The fact that he's still alive in the 2015 Royal Rumble is just incredible. You know, eventually you're going to have to eliminate him, Vince McMahon. Just don't do like what Matt Hardy does and delete him. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Speaking of, like, usually that is how we end the, the show. There's one very important thing that's missing. What are you talking about? I already talked about how much Eva Marie has ruined the WWE. But what is your markout moment of the week? Oh, the markout moment of the week. You know, Ja, I'm glad that you brought that up because there was a lot of moments this week that really stuck out to me. I could have gone with the Dr. Gallows and Dr. Anderson from Monday Night Raw that we forgot to bring up. During our segment about Monday Night Raw, which was, you know... Well, I, I mean, I was nodding in and out of consciousness, so... I mean, it was entertaining, but, I mean, to be a mark-out moment, 
I really thought about it. I said, yeah, as good as it was, it could have been better. You know, I also could have went with the fact that the guy that Braun Strowman fought didn't even cut a promo when he had a chance and he got the entrance. But Do I really you think didn't he want to his pants twice. Good. I mean, I would have. Uh, you know, there was a lot of moments that happened this week between Raw and SmackDown. I mean, even the Miz and and Maurice being on the set of the SmackDown pre-show, or even yeah, even with the Miz having his little moment with Scooby Doo, where Scooby Doo locked him in the car. Or I'm sorry, in the mystery machine, could have been my mark out moment of the week. But I'm gonna say that there was one moment this week that really just kind of like tugged at my heart a little bit, and it was like a really good mark out moment. And it was something I wasn't expecting, and I'm sure a lot of people weren't expecting when it happened. And I'm gonna go back to the cruiserweight classic. And after the Abushi Cedric Alexander match, when the fans were cheering, sign Alexander. And, you know, he got that great ovation. He had that awesome match. And it's a shame that he's out of the tournament. I really think that he got a bad seating in the tournament. But the fact that he was walking to the back and he was, you know, acknowledging the fans for his awesome performance at the Cruiserweight Classic. And then Triple H came out and put his arm around him and raised his arm. That right there is Bobby the Brainless's mark-out moment of the week. Triple H... With Cedric Alexander is Bobby the Brainless's markout moment of the week. My markout moment of the week is like almost the exact opposite of that. It was like one of those dumb segments on Raw, but like dumb but entertaining. When Lana ate the wedding cake. <laughs> I mean, honestly, whenever there's a Raw wedding. Or, or a WWE wedding in general, you know shenanig- shenanigans are going to happen. It started back 30 years ago when Uncle Elmer got married on Monday Night Raw. All sorts of stuff that wasn't happened. On, that at, wasn't on Monday Night Raw. That was well, like Saturday Night Live. Yeah, it was event. Saturday Night's main event. But like even back then... Get your facts straight, Jaru. But even back then, <laughs> crap went on. I mean, they had the... Like, funny little reception after. Uh, but, like, when I saw the cake in the ring, I'm like, Lana's going to eat cake tonight. And when it happened, I was like, that's what I wanted. And as we do every single week, it's going to be on our Twitter account, at F underscore N Marks. We're going to have a poll up for the markout moment of the week. So if you want to vote for... What Bobby the Brainless promoted as the markout moment of the week, which was Triple H and Cedric Alexander at the end of the Cruiserweight Classic. Or you can vote for what Ja Rule has announced for his markout moment of the week. And the way that the last three votes have gone, Ja, undefeated. Rule, ja Rule is 3-0. and I, I have a feeling that... Uh, the undefeated streak is going to end this week. But I don't know. They, that's all right. I, I enjoyed the... I'm I'm sticking with the Lana moment because it just cracks me up. I really do think you're going to be on like a Goldberg type of streak and you're going to win like 136 weeks in a row. And I think after I try uh, jumping off the roof of the house and drinking a gallon of bleach and I still survive, I might actually win one of these weeks. Is there any other things you would like to add before we say goodbye to the fucking marks out there? Nope. We're out. 
And that is it for episode four of the Fucking Marks Podcast. I am Bobby the Brainless. I'm Ja Rule. 